Okay, so what do you know is this week is with uh, Betsy Trujan, and we're not going to call it What Do You Know, but this one, the theme, the the overall after talking with you, it's What Do You Do is the title, and and we have a great testimony. Um I'm, I'm anxious to see this because when I've heard this, I've, I've, I've spoken to you and said, I, I want to do something special with this. And I think it would be a great movie. So I've outlined the movie. And so you guys listening, if this was a novel or, or, a, or a movie, I'm, it's almost it's just an epic testimony. So with that, I'm going to I'm going to ask you some questions, try to get you started. But if this if this was the name of this podcast is normally what do you know now? It's what do you do? Because that is the theme of the of your story and your testimony. So so Betsy, uh, how did this all start? What was the beginning of this of this testimony? Uh, we were. Oh, thanks for letting me do this because um, I want to praise the Lord on this because he did a lot of really cool things. But um, I was a scattered member. We lived in countries. I wasn't able to go to church or have fellowship or have sacrament. And I began praying to the Lord and asking him, uh, tell, saying that I will go wherever wherever you would like me to go. I just please let me be able to go to church, be able to have fellowship and be able to have sacrament. And then we moved to Guatemala and the closest place to go to church was Yucatan. And we would fly there. And so I was so excited the first time to go, like finally get to go to church, finally be able to have sacrament, have fellowship, hear, hear testimonies. I want to share testimonies and we get there and it's all in Spanish. (laughs) And I didn't know how I was going to get any, hear any testimonies, how I was going to tell my testimonies. And so I would always need a translator. Mm -hmm. And so Jay Mosier was our translator and old Placido he was meeting us, and he wanted to know. He asked us a question, what do you do? And we were like, what do you, what do you mean? What do we do? Do we, uh, you mean at work? And he goes, and so Jay's translating. He goes, no, he wants to know what do you do in church? Mm-hmm. And I, we looked at each other and thought, well, we don't do anything. We're scattered members. We get to church when we can, but we, we don't actually do anything. And he goes, well, he asked Dennis, do you preach? And he said, well, I'm not a called minister, so I can't preach. And he asked, well, do you sing? (laughs) And we're like, no, (laughs) definitely don't (laughs) sing. And and then we went home with that on our mind. What do we do? And I went to the Lord. I I felt really saddened by this because I thought I felt worthless. And I thought, Hmm. "Uh, uh, Lord, I I want to do something for you. I'm not a man. I'll never be called. I, you know what jobs are there for me as a scattered woman? Scattered member that's a woman. Yeah. I can't even I can't even weed. I can't even scrub the toilets in church. What can I do? Cause isn't there a job for me? Don't you have something for me to do? I, yeah. I see the tears in your eyes. This is I think this <laughs> is something everybody struggles with. Um not everybody gets to be, you know, the 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 highlight reel, right? Some of us are just working behind the scenes a lot of times. And if you're not told what to do, it's kind of on you to ask and to to find it yourself. That's kind of an awkward position for for um, you know your role. Find your niche. Find your role in the Church of Christ. And what it is a struggle. And your your story when you said. I mean, what are we we calling this? What do you do? You you were challenged. 
Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and I, you know, little be known to me that I he he began putting uh, giving me a job training. I had no idea. You know, I can look in hindsight and say, oh yeah, you gave me job training, but that he put somebody in my path that was from Vietnam, that she was a foodie, and she took me under her wing. She said, I like you. You're going to be my friend. Took me under her wing and began teaching me to cook. She introduced me to other foodie friends and began. So I started learning all these cuisines of the world. I'm from a small town. You know, people have hamburgers and casseroles and stuff, and she's she's teaching me how to make pho soup and um, just – and pod thai and all these other things from all these cuisines from around the world and i had one year with her this was in mexico in uh this is when i lived in guatemala, guatemala still, okay and then when we moved to mexico i was introduced to another woman who was also a world traveler and she lived all over the world china russia ecuador you know all these places and she said uh what kind of things do you do and I started telling her different crafts that I did and that I did cooking. And she said, are you good at any of them? I said, <laughs> well, I think so. I think I'm okay in them. And she goes, well, I used to be like you. And I made a decision to be proficient in one. And I said, well, how do you choose? She said, what do you like the most? And I guess I thought, well, cooking. So that she was put in my path to change my focus mm-hmm. and stop dilly-dallying around, you know, and doing spent wasting my time on all these other things focus on cooking and so that's what I did I had days where I just baked all day always new stuff I was just always exploring new foods in that position and even gave children's cooking classes when I was there but then when I moved to another country and and before I left that country she gave me a book and I didn't even know that book was so important that I would need later on down the road to do this job that God had for me to do. But this other, so so I'm going to reiterate, Plasto says, what do you do? Yeah. And then you meet someone else, the, the now I kind of made fun of this statement <laughs> you made that she's a top 100 quilter. Well, yeah, she said, uh, I'm a top 100 quilter of the United States. She took, she made, she printed her fabric. She made stamps for them. She cut them up. She made paintings out of quilts. And then she, sold them in galleries. So she she knew her stuff. So she was proficient. She was right. proficient. She's a top 100. And she was trying to get me to focus to be proficient in something. Right. So, But you ran into her and she says, what do you do? What do I and, do? Uh, uh, you know, top 100 <laughs> quilter aside, I had no idea there was such a thing. Or, or I, like, I, I would, in my mind, I'm a sports guy, so I'm thinking ESPN has the top 100 quilters. I, I don't know. There's got to be a magazine for that somewhere. But <laughs> Yeah, uh, they're quilter magazines. Okay, okay. <laughs> And so, so you're challenged again to be, not not what do you do, but but be proficient, be to excellent, focus. right? Yeah, to focus on something, mm-hmm. be proficient in it. And then she gave me a book, and the book was better than store bought. And I had no idea what this, what this was gonna, how was it gonna affect me down the line? But God had a plan, and this book showed me how to make everything from scratch: ketchup, mustard. Um, sauerkraut, uh, sausages, all kinds of stuff in there that you normally buy at the store when you live in China and Russia. They don't have those things, so you have to make them yourself. Mm-hmm. And so she was gifting it to me because I like to cook. She thought this will help you somewhere in some other country you're in. And little did I know that that would 
be something I needed. But then when I went to the next country, so so little <laughs> did you know that this is in 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 movie in movie right in a movie this would be that part at the beginning where you notice oh that's important yeah that's important and how did this happen and and when do we oh they're in they're giving us information right in our movie that's happening and and here here it is you know we're gonna store this little tidbit that you have this book but the 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 truth of it is god is making sure you run into people who are shaping you to be ready for what's coming for what do you do because you asked for this right you prayed for this job (laughs) and so god is giving you what you need to do it and you don't know right i have no idea at the end what it's going to (laughs) be uh so So so, then i get to austria and i tell a few people you know because everybody asks you every time you move what did you do at the last place they kind of getting to know you and I told a couple of people that what I had, you know, I like to cook. I give cooking classes to kids and stuff. And then so somebody came after me and said, hey, I, I, my husband's a colonel. He has representational parties where four and five course dinner parties. And he has to represent the United States. And I'm looking for a cook. I said, well, I don't think I'm who you're looking for. I can teach you to cook. And she goes, I don't want that. I want you to cook. And... So she hired me, and so I was doing many parties for her, and one day I was baking and making sauces the day before, thinking, I started thinking, wow, I've, I never thought I'd be in this position where I'd be cooking for people that make major decisions in the world, such as colonels and generals from different countries. And right away, the, the, I felt the spirit, and I so I started... Like, Lord, uh, do you have a job for me to do? And the spirit, I felt it again. So it was one of those things you ponder in your heart, like, um, what is that all about? What is that whole meaning? And then people came through from Phoenix to visit us because mm-hmm. we were in Austria. They thought, hey, we'll go skiing. We'll go visit the Trujans. And, and then here we are. Um, I'm cooking in the kitchen for 11 people visiting me. And Jay Mosier comes, and I'm pondering all this stuff in my heart, what right. I felt over cooking the sauce. And Jay Mosier comes in and he said, um, there's somebody in this apartment. The Lord has a job for them to do. And I said, doing what? And he said, I don't know, a maid, a servant of some kind, maybe a cook or something. And he, he didn't know. And I said, well, do you know who it is? And he said, no. So I'm pondering this in my heart. Then Dennis gets a visitor. He said, hey, the person I'm replacing in India is coming. Do you, let's meet with them and they can answer our questions. And so they asked me, well, what do you do? What do you do? <laughs> and I said, well, um, I cook for a colonel. They said, oh, you'll never get a job in India. People, staff is so, so easy to find and inexpensive. You know, people hire maids and cooks all the time. You'll never get a job cooking. And right. so when they laughed, Dennis said, well, what are you going to do? And I thought, well, mm-hmm. I'm, I guess I could give classes to maids and children. And he said, okay. So when we get there. Hold on a second. So, so in this, this is the the beginning of the whole, um, the angle where it's the book of Esther type stuff, right? Now we're talking you are entertaining and cooking for uh, 
the the movers and shakers of military uh, 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 proceedings, right? So so you're in and around and uh, next to rubbing shoulders with influencers or or actual people in charge, and it's it's very much Book of Esther, right? And so in this situation, this is when you had your first. Uh, spiritual guidance, I guess, or, or dream or, or movement. It wasn't a dream, right? You were saying you felt impressed by the spirit while you were cooking one time. Yeah, as I was thinking about this, like, wow, I never thought I'd be in that position. And then I just felt the spirit come over me. You know, I just felt it strong. And I thought, well, what does that mean? Is Do you have a job for me to do mm-hmm. like Daniel does it, that did for you? And, and then I felt it again. And then uh, the lady that hired me, her the colonel's wife, um, she was, she has read the Book of Mormon and she was a member of the LDS church at one point in her life. And I felt like God put me in her path because she asked me to read a book and I didn't really like to read novels because I'm a reference person. And I read it to please her. I thought, well, she's asked me, I'll do it. And then I'll tell her that. And then I said, hey, I, I've, you've asked me to read a book. I have a book for that. I'd like you to read. And I pushed over the book of Mormon to her and she goes, I've already read it. Right. <laughs> That's when I learned that background. And I thought, Oh, maybe God has a job here for me to do with mm-hmm. her. And we became good friends. And so store this away in our movie, you know, as we're, as we're going through this, this is more information. Put that aside. Uh, there's been, there's evidence and fingerprints on, on where, where you're going, what's happening, and the people you've bumped into along the way. And it's just, when we're all done with this, this is going to be so much evidence, and it's going to be a great a great movie. So this is another one of those scenes earlier on in our movie, at the, at the beginning points of our movie, where the background is we're learning about the main character, and, and we're finding out what this plot twist is coming so so moving on you're now gonna go to india yes now we arrive in india i'm going to the gym i'm walking on the treadmill and there's a a lady she's she told me she's korean and she's married to somebody in the embassy and we're walking on the treadmill and she wants to know um what did you do what do you do what do you do and i said well i cook for a colonel and i gave her some background information about the four and five course dinner parties and she said are you going to apply for the job and I asked her what the job was and it was a food and beverage consultant that would be pretty much in charge of 60 staff um, over 11 outlets it's one of the largest commissary recreational facilities in the world yeah. for State Department. I saw a picture of it. It's huge. It's huge. It is and huge. And matter of fact, when I was there, we became close to the number one largest one. I mean, this isn't like uh, McDonald's. No, it has this a bowling not, alley, has right. a swimming pool, it has a, a ball field. It's huge. It has tennis courts. It's huge. Yeah. This oh, is yeah. a, like a resort. It is like a resort. And, you know, you, you sign your bill, you get your bill at the end of the month, you pay it like a hotel bill. Mm-hmm. That's that's how it goes. And so you, we need somebody to be in charge of all the food at this resort. Uh, they wanted, yeah, they wanted, these are five-star customers that have lived all over the world. I lived in Thailand. I want food from Thailand. I mm-hmm. lived in Turkey. I want food from Turkey. I lived in China. I want food from China. Not American Chinese. I want food and from China. And they know the difference. And they know the difference yeah. because... They've stayed in these five-star hotels. They've eaten at the best restaurants around the world. And I suddenly became their mother. 
that they come to and say, <laughs> Mom, can you cook this for me? Oh. <laughs> but at the time, she's asking me, do you, you know, why don't you apply for this job? I'm thinking, no, I don't want the job. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know who she was. Her husband was third in command in the embassy. It goes ambassador, DCM, and then the admin, and her husband was the admin officer. And so they began talking in the embassy, and word started spreading that there's somebody in town that cooks, and we need her to apply for this job. And they started pursuing me, and they started pursuing Dennis, asking, why isn't she applying for this job? And he asked me, he said, they're, they're driving me crazy at work. They keep <laughs> asking me, why aren't you applying for this job? And he goes, why aren't you applying for this job? I said, I don't want it. I said, do you realize what it entails? I don't know anything about restaurants. I don't know anything about this, you know, 60 staff and getting sponsors for these big events. Mm-hmm. And then I was in the embassy and the head of this board of association for this, um, the group that I work for, they, he said, well, why aren't you applying for this job? And I told him, I said, your food is awful. Even if you have me <laughs> get, you have these events, nobody's coming because nobody right. will eat your food. And he said, well, he said, yeah. And he said, so what do you want to do? And I said, if anything, I'd just teach him to cook. And he said, that's what we want. I'll change the job description. And so they changed it, and I had no choice but to apply. Right. You're <laughs> going to do this job. That's you're, what you're buying. Oh, yeah. I don't know. So I'm beginning to think Dennis was just the side note. We They didn't really want Dennis in India. They wanted you. Well, what Dennis right? said to me, he said, think it about this way. You could get them to cook anything we want to eat. Oh, nice. <laughs> so his focus was his tummy. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like, what can we eat here? <laughs> anyway, so I went in for the job interview. A lady in front of me also applied she was a manager of a McDonald's. I thought for sure she's getting the job because she was, mm-hmm. she knows restaurant stuff. I don't know any mm-hmm. of this stuff. And um, there were about a panel of 17 people around this great big table all asking me questions <laughs> for the interview. <laughs> it was very nerve wracking. But they called me and said, you got the job. So the weight, of my sh- weight was on my shoulders. I've got almost mm-hmm. a thousand customers and 60 staff looking to me of immediate changes of, hey, tomorrow the food's going to be great. And I was like, no, it takes longer than that. Right, right. <laughs> and so when the first day on the job, the chef said to me, he said, we're so glad you're here. We've been praying for 10 years for somebody to come and help us. And when I went home at night, that was on my brain. I thought, 10 years, what was I doing in 10 years ago? So I started doing the math and figuring out what country I was in. I thought I was in Guatemala. What was I praying for? And I thought you were praying for a job (laughs) to do for the Lord. And I thought, is this the job? Mm -hmm. And as time went on and things were changing and I, I began seeing things with um, these men that they needed help. They needed, they needed, new equipment and things weren't right. And so I was making changes and I kept seeing them all go down into this, down these stairs. And I said, where are they going? What's down there? And they said, well, there's a locker room down there and there's a walk-in cooler, walk-in, you know, freezer, there's storage. And I said, and a laundry. And I said, oh, I want to see it. Go down, have somebody go down, tell them I'm coming. So they, <laughs> I don't walk in on anybody. So I go down there and they, 
uh, I said, this is, this is where you, our staff goes. This is awful. It's like a little dungeon. It's moldy. <laughs> it's damp. They have a air conditioner is dripping in a bucket. These guys are sleeping down there. And I said, this is just nasty. I didn't like it. And then I walked me into the laundry room, give me the tour. And here you got these two guys doing laundry for 120 staff because it wasn't just my staff and food and beverage. Mm-hmm. It was also the recreation, the business office, the commissary. They were washing all the uniforms. They were washing all the linens for the dining room. And, and they showed me the equipment they had. They had two washing machines. One they called the Blue Elephant. It was an old industrial machine that didn't work very well. And then they had one that would look like a domestic domestic washing machine like we would use. Mm-hmm. But it was broken. And so they had to hand spin it out for 120 people's uniform. So I didn't like that injustice. You know, I didn't like what they were dealing with. And I thought, well, maybe people don't know. So by the time that um, I met the new guy coming in who's in charge of all the buildings and the the maintenance on these buildings, I said, hey, this is your building. Would you like a tour? Would you like to know what's in the basement? And he was also on the board. And he said, yeah, I would. So Mm -hmm. I showed him, I said, isn't this terrible? So I explained all the details. And he said, yeah, this isn't acceptable. Mm -hmm. And so we brought it up to the board and we got a new locker room and a new laundry room. And the guys were like, nobody's ever done this for us before. Because in India, there are class systems. Right. And, and people it, just assume they are, um, this is just the way it is. They're used to it. They said they're used to it. It's no big deal. I said, it is a big deal. They're human beings. Okay. So tell me, when you were, when you first got the job, did you feel what, what they call imposter syndrome, where I don't, what am I doing here? This is all overwhelming. All the time. Yeah. I certainly didn't feel that I was qualified for this job at all. I didn't feel I, I was qualified for the job at all. They, uh, I had people would come up to me and say, oh, you're a chef. And they'd make comments and they would continue with the conversation. And I would wait to get into the conversation to say, no, I'm not a chef. <laughs> but all of a sudden something would happen and I would never be able to say to them, I'm, where are you getting this? I'm not a chef. And, you know, I just learned as I went along. But when I did start the job... One of the cooks in the back asked me, uh, what do you, you know, are you a chef? And I, I did tell him, I said, no. And I, he said, well, where do you, where did you learn all this stuff? He said, oh, I just, you know, friends here and there. And he goes, oh, you're a domestic. And I said, <laughs> yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> hey, proof is in the pudding. If right? it tastes good. That's right. <laughs> so the next part of this, this movie, if I was creating a movie trailer, Okay, so it's a year later from when you took the job to right now. And tell me how how it's going now that it's been a year on the job and what have you noticed happening? Well, when we first started, going, when we arrived to India and went to the restaurant, there were maybe two other families in the restaurant. There weren't a lot of people there. And the food wasn't very good. So people were using other options, didn't want to go there. Some things weren't good. But then as we, uh, I started cooking and things started changing, about a year later, the restaurant became full, and I was actually standing, waiting to get a table. One guy had worked there on and off nine years, and he said, I've been here about nine years, and I've never seen the restaurant where people are waiting to have a table. 
And then, um, so people were like, oh, we should be making lots and lots of money. And yet, when the business office came out with the accounting and showing figures, it looked like we weren't making hardly any money. But people were saying, my bills are going up and up. I'm spending more and more at this business. And yet, how are we not making gobs and gobs of money? And they're like, where's the money? And people would ask me questions and they were trying to look into stuff, but they couldn't figure it out. And somebody came to my door at my house, rang the doorbell, I answer it. And they said, look, I, they're head of an office. And they said, look, I've got this email address that's a private email to the ambassador. If we think something's going on, if you have any information, send it to the ambassador, this private email. But that weighed heavy on me because I thought, look, I've just been concentrating on cooking. I don't look to see if people are doing bad things. I was just thinking, I can never accuse anybody of anything if I don't have any proof on it. And I would always give people the reasonable amount of doubt that it's maybe it's just a little mistake here and there. So when I went back to the United States for a two week break, when I came, I weighed on heavy on my shoulder and I kept worrying about this, like, what am I supposed to do with this stuff? And when I returned, I, I thought I can't handle this stress. So I went to the Lord and asked him, what do I do? Is there something I should be doing? I, I don't see this. Could you show me what I'm supposed to be doing? And he sent me a dream. And in the dream, he showed that I had gathered all this information together in this big file and I handed it over to someone. And I assumed it was the board of directors for this association. And so when they called me to visit, I gave it to them. I had a copy. I gave them a copy. I didn't know it, but they sat on it for about a year. Meanwhile, they are in the background. They've been talking to the people that I have got this information on because I spent two weeks gathering work orders, requests, and denials for a year. So on three different people, I had 12 points on three different people that they weren't doing their job. And I thought, that's substantial. If you're not doing your job, then you shouldn't have the job. I need somebody else because I have to get my job done. So then I thought, okay, I'm doing the right thing. Here's the paper. Here's the file done. And by the time, you know, later on, I'll tell you about that file because where what right. I use that file for. Cause right. that we got to we got to build the, the scenario yeah. right in our movie. Mm-hmm. We, we have to do a flashback or something. Yeah, at that right. Point. Yeah, exactly. So so now we're we're into the dum 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 and, and of the movie and the drama that's <laughs> happening. And now in my mind, there's there's uh, somebody with a fedora hat watching you and, and, a, and a lit cigarette hanging off of his lips in the in the rain next to a streetlight. So, you know, this is kind of what I think in my movie if this was going on, and if you're uh, uh, if you're Esther, there was drama there that she had to be brave and and confront, and and, and there was there was it wasn't fun. I imagine this next part of the story wasn't fun for you. Um, and I say story, but I'm I'm presenting it as if it's a movie. But this is real life stuff here. So there's this undercurrent or underground or what did you call it? Uh, like a mini mafia. Yeah, yeah, a mini mafia <laughs> in India is going on, and this black market. So tell me some of the indicators uh, of some of the some of the trouble you ran into um, on your job. 
Well, one of the things I did was I went to a trade show, found all these bags that I needed for all these French bread, and they had to be paper. So I brought all these samples, brought all these business cards, and gave it to the guy that was supposed to be purchasing for me and sent him out and say, I don't care who you buy them from. Here's the samples. Here are the, the business cards. Just go do it. And he came back, and he, you know, somebody said, you have to listen to his story. And they, I came back to listen to him, and he said, Everything was all set. I was going to get the bags. I was ready to sign the contract to get this. And they asked who my boss was. And it wasn't me. It was the his purchasing manager. And once he found out the name, he said, I cannot do any business with you. And I said, why not? And he said, because she only likes to be paid in jewelry and you have to deliver it to her house. <laughs> and then meanwhile, they're sending me business people to my office giving me samples of cups which I never asked for and because they did that they could say I sent her samples she's turned them all away right you ask for a french bread they give you styrofoam <laughs> right paper bags and I got styrofoam and I've never and this has got to be like a red flag going off I only get paid in gold jewelry um something's wrong <laughs> something's Definitely they wrong. They also started changing all of our vendors saying they were going to get a better quality and it's going to be a cheaper price, but actually it was not. And actually when the security in the embassy checked out all these addresses, they were non-existent. They didn't exist. Okay. <laughs> but our quality was going down and the price was not. So what happened with the folder? You collected information with this folder Well, um, the security, pre pretty much when I was done with the job, Security asked me to come over with other consultants that were also done with the job and said, if you have any information, please bring it with us, with you. And so he said, and when he saw my folder, he said, you know, anything that you could give me on them, we can't catch Al Capone killing people. We have to get him with tax evasion. So any little detail that you have will help us. And so one of the things uh, I said, well, I looked at his folder and I thought, well, it's as thick as mine. And I said, well, probably you have everything that I've already given to the board. And he said, they're not helping us. They're in denial. They refuse to believe anything's going on. And all of our mouths dropped. And I thought, wow, I gave it to him a year ago and they're doing nothing with this information. And started to think, okay, some of these things are making sense. Anyway, <coughs> excuse me. I'll edit that out. Okay. <clears throat> Lean forward a little bit, too. Okay. So, um, anyway, I started, I was at home, and I was sleeping, and one of the things that, am I going down to this one? So, so let's start with the, the, the tortillas. Have you done the oh, tortillas? Oh, yes. Story? And so, after I gave the file. So, hold on. Let me set you up. <clears throat> um, um, so, I didn't, I didn't see... There was, there was a, let me follow this up with another question. I, I remember you telling me someone was going to do something with this paid, paid in jewelry, uh, a guy that was like a middleman. Oh, yes. I, I said that, um, he, I said, you need to report this to security. So he said, no, ma'am, I'm afraid they'll come after me. And I said, well, look, I have to look at one of the coffee carts. Could you just come over to the coffee cart and I can tell you what my needs are to purchase? And then from there, the office is right around the corner. And he's, he was very afraid. And he, he eventually did it. 
And then we went over and he interviewed. I said, he's got a story to tell. You have to listen to him. And he did. It was the um, the detective. And he got that information. But then he was afraid. So on his way home, he was driving a scooter. And on his way home, it was a van or a truck following him that kept bumping into a scooter on the way home. It scared him to death. And he called in sick the next day. And they sent a via a driver with a vehicle over there and gave him his pink slip the next day. So it's it's real now. So you're getting intimidation tactics to to get you out of this job. They don't like what you're doing. They don't want you there in India in this uh, job because you're oh, ruining their their system. Their, and not only that, I'm onto them. You're onto so, right, and others are onto them. And I brought information to their attention, so they're trying to figure out how to get rid of me. So tell me, tell me about the tortillas. Oh, uh, they they would sabotage a few things uh, for me. Like we had a Mexican night, and they said, "No, we don't have any tortillas." And the chef said, "Well, what are we going to do? We don't have any tortillas for Mexican night." And I thought, "You're kidding." And then my other consultant that worked at the commissary, my friend, she said. Well, we're getting a shipment coming in. They're airing them in. And I I thought, okay, well, I'll just buy those. And they said they won't refuse to get sell any to the restaurant. And I said, well, I'm a customer to the commissary. I can buy them and donate them. And then they said, no, they would not let me do that. And I had other customers say, we will go and purchase those and donate them. And they said no to them too. And I believe that... You know, I have any proof on it, but I, it, it looked to me that they were selling them on the black market, creating the market by me having a need to go to the market and buy it from somebody else. And so they did not want to get them to me. So I, I didn't know what to do. I went to the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I got this Mexican night coming. This is morale. Um, please help me out here. I don't know what to do. Why won't they sell these to me? It doesn't seem fair. It's unjust. And the next day, Dennis called me and said, hey, we got a guy flying in from Mexico. Do, he wants to know, what do you need? What's, what's your wife need? And I said, I need tortillas. <laughs> and so I, he's like, okay, how many do you need? And I said, give me like 12 packages. And he did. And I thought, I'll just buy him a meal when he gets here. We'll just donate them. We'll have a great event. It'll be fine. Well, then they were upset because they were like, where did you get these tortillas? Because I wasn't buying them in the market mm-hmm. that they were going to sell them to. <laughs> so they were upset with me. <clears throat> and then the next one, so there's several I wanted to hit on. The next one was the German. Uh, oh, we had a German fast. Yeah. And then they, our st- all of our food was being flown in from Germany. Our bratwurst, our sauerkraut, our mustard, all the things that we would need to make this great event. And 500 people would be coming to this event. And they're holding our food at customs, so they said. And they were saying, oh, we don't even know if it was refrigerated. Maybe we should just throw it all away. What are you going to do with your event if you don't have all this stuff? And I said, plan B. And they said, what's plan B? I said, we're going to make our own sausages. We're going to make our own sauerkraut. We're going to make our own mustard. They said, can you do that? I said, yes, I can. You know how I could do that? I had a book that was given to me in Mexico by the, a lady that God put in my path. That was one of the top 100 quilters. Right. Top 100 <laughs> quilter comes through. And so now you're, you're making what you need out of ingredients that you have around you. And, and I thought it was uh, interesting that you told me when we talked about this, that the, those who ate 
Oh, we had Austria. We had people from the Austrian embassy. The German embassy would come to this event, and they said, "This food is amazing. This is better than what we're getting at home." Right. (laughs) So it was. It was like, thank you for keeping my sausages. You just made this event better. Like, yeah, I love that. And God did that. I didn't do that. God did all that. He had a hand in everything. (laughs) Like that's what's amazing to me is you're you're struggling through all these trials and having to work harder, having to do things go end around right and and plan B. And I don't have tortillas, but somehow God has made it. He took care of you in this job. And I've heard several of these stories now. And he had foresight to give it to me years earlier right right 10 years earlier i'm gonna give you what you need for there's no way you can frustrate god's plan i say that all the time now the last part well two parts there's the part about the reimbursements oh um oh that was another thing they were trying to trip me up on different things and so i would turn in receipts of things i purchased and they were supposed to reimburse me and they would give it they would write the check for a bigger amount than they needed to. And they say, here, just cash this. And I'd say, no, it's it, that's too much money. When you rewrite the check, then I, for the correct amount, then I'll cash that. But until then, I'm giving it back to you. And they kept saying, no, just take the check because they were trying to catch me in something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, and I had a feeling, it was almost the Lord was telling me, do not cash that. So there were lots of little things like that. And also... Um, the manager had gone over and talked to the um, COO and he came back and he said, wow, they, you know, they've asking me questions like, do the staff like her? And they, they said, yeah, all the staff likes her. He goes, what about the customers? Oh yeah, they all like her too. And he said, gee, it sounds like they're trying to get rid of you. They're trying to figure out a way to get rid of you. Mm-hmm. So th- what's clear is there's this criminal element this this mini mafia that is taking uh, the resources, the food that comes in as shipped to the um, the commissary. Okay, the commissary, yeah. and they're not making it available to the commissary. They're moving it out to a market, a local market, black market, to sell there, and then they sell it to the commissary. So we're, t- no. we're sell- no, they bring it in. They don't take any SKU numbers. They get it all off the truck, and then they try to calculate it later. And they say, well, there's things missing. And then they put things on the shelf for about three days. And all the Americans say, great, we got a new shipment. And then it, it's gone. And we think everybody's just went in and wiped the commissary clean. Meanwhile, they're putting it on a truck and they're taking it to the black market. And they're doing it in the night. And, but what and, I I s- didn't, and how I found that out is because I fell asleep on the couch and I woke up and I thought, oh, I got to get to bed, but I'll let me walk the dog first. And I'm on a compound. So I walk the dog across the street into the grassy area and I see my outdoor catering truck go by. And I thought, it's like midnight. <laughs> we don't have a catering job tonight, but I'm going to check that tomorrow. And then when I, I followed the truck up to the commissary and the driver was already gone, already gone inside. And I'm waiting outside for when he comes out. <laughs> And he comes out and he looks at me and I go, did you just like pick up a shipment from the airport or something? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yes, ma'am. But I still thought that was very suspicious. I went into work the next day and said, what catering job did we have and why are they using our truck? And they said, no, we didn't have a job last night, ma'am. And we don't know why they're using our truck. And so that was one of the things that was on my mind that I wanted to tell one of the guys that worked in the security office at the embassy. But it was after 
the hour, right? And I, you know, as the next day, I was pondering these things in my heart, like I got to share this information with somebody, I don't want to go over during the daytime. And then at night, I'm walking my dog. And I'm like, I felt drawn by the spirit to go ring this guy's doorbell, who is my neighbor. And I thought, I can't do it. I can't bother people after hours. They they come home, they need to relax, they need to have a family time. And so I brought my dog back in. And I felt that spirit you know, this wing, I mean, you need to talk to him. So I got on my knees and I prayed and I asked the Lord, what do I do? I, if you want me to talk to him, could you make it possible that I just kind of run into him at some point? And as soon as I got off my knees, the doorbell rings. I open the door and it's his son standing there. And I look at him and I said, can I help you? And I look and his dad's standing about 20 feet back. And he said, my son found your dog's collar while we were out for our walk, and we wanted to give it back to you. And I said, oh, well, since you're here, I want to give you some information. God did that. I didn't do that. <laughs> it's, I like that. I like that. When there's such an immediate answer to prayer, and especially when you you need immediacy in the situation you're in, this is... I don't know. It, was, it makes a great, you know, movie of, of this this uh, helpless American girl, you know, in the India, <laughs> having to take on some some street mafia who's who's selling. You know, they have to have a system. There has to be a network of guys, and it's not, and it's all of them against you, and they're trying to get you fired so they can go back to making more money. Yeah, and I could all along. I could not. I knew some people weren't doing their job, but I could never pinpoint who was who, and that was there were so many of them we couldn't figure out who they were. Neither could security, mm-hmm. and. And because of that, I thought, I didn't know if it was one person, two people. I had no idea how many were doing this until uh, later on. Until the dream. Until Well, I had a dream because I would pray into the Lord and I had this dream. It was just before you waken up in the morning and I, there was this, on my right hand side, there was this black dog and he looked very evil. It wasn't a Rottweiler, it wasn't a Dilbert Pinch or anything. It was a black dog. It was, I felt an evil presence. And right then... My, my black dog, which is a little cocker spaniel, hit the side of the bed. She's very sweet. And I went, oh, it's just Willie. And I, dre- I fell back into sleep, and the dog was there again, the evil dog. And it happened three times. So by the time I got to work, I was like, you're not going to believe this dream I had. This is so crazy. I, I, it was so real. And, you know, nobody just, you know, like, yeah, yeah, you had a dream type of thing. But later on, when we left the country and I was with Dennis in, in somewhere else, I was home in the hotel room and I was thinking, you know, I probably should pray about that if that's from God or not. And so when I prayed about it at night, God, if this dream is from you, could you give me some understanding of it? And so when I went to bed and I woke up, I thought, well, I have no understanding. I didn't give me another dream. Must not have been from God. And so I thought, well, I've been going to study today. So I said, Lord, I said a prayer, Lord, could you just, I don't know where even to begin. If you have something you want me to learn or read, could you just pick it for me? And I opened up my scriptures and I looked down and it said, beware of the evil workers or beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of concision. That's Philippians 3, 2. We looked it up before the podcast when we're, I wanted it in front of me. So Philippians 3, 2, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware concision. And you had three dreams. The same dream three times, let's say that that way. And and so you kind of 
deducted that this is three people? Well, or it was. It come to that? But it, just, well, right, first off, first off, that's a crazy verse that you had come to. What has that, that got to do with anything? Unless you've been having this dream about evil dogs, you know. So this is <laughs> right? this is too remote of a chance of that this is coincidence. Well, and I didn't know if it was one person or two people, but he shown, and I thought it's plural. He said, "Beware of the dogs. Mm-hmm. Beware of evil workers." So I said, "There's more than one." And I thought, well, the dream he showed me three dogs. I mean, three times I, I drifted off to sleep and it was there again three times. So he's showing me workers. He's showing me dogs. And I thought, well, there's a couple people that I know aren't doing their job. And I thought, well, that I think that could be the evil people, but I don't really don't know the third one. And so I went to the Lord and I asked him, who are these three people? Uh, because it was three dogs. And he sent me another dream. And in the dream, I saw three people standing around a campfire. And I knew that they were, it was a bad, evil type of spirit there. And um, two of them, I thought, yep, I kind of thought so. But the third one shocked me because I thought he was my friend. Hmm. And, he, and he wasn't. He was one of them God was showing me. I wish God, I mean, I, he can, right? I'm sure he would if if we were all in certain circumstances where he needs to reveal the evil around us, he will. He did for you. Um, that that kind of that kind of confidence that we can take from this testimony um, is, is reassuring and we apply it to our lives. You know, if if we are heading down the wrong direction, if we're going the wrong way. If we're surrounded by evil, he will make us aware. He will protect us. He will do what he has to do to make sure his sheep know his voice and they will follow the shepherd. So this this idea that you have were 10 years in the making, brought here to do this job. What do you do? And now you get placed in this position and this kind of corruption and this kind of you know, what is the purpose? What what were you thinking? Why, why am I here? Why am I, God, this is the job you want me to do? Like, Well, I, and the whole do- time I was thinking I'm here to cook. <laughs> I'm just right. here to change the menu. You weren't I'm here, here to, to make change people the menu. Have, I wasn't here to change the menu no, at all. No, you were not here to I change was, the menu. And the guys, that they learned to trust in me. And so one of the things they would, they would give me pieces of information because they trusted me. They knew I wasn't the bad guy that I love them. And so one of the things they said was, we're supposed to get a certain percentage towards our pension, but yet we're getting a lot less. And so I would bring this up to the board and ask about this. So I would I would research these things for them because they gave me this information of trust. It, and it was good. It was good. I, I was building that and I didn't realize I was building that. I was just being me, <laughs> being what I was supposed to do as a Christian. So there's one more story um, about Christmas. Oh, they so now were. That, now that you've got everybody's confidence, you've got a lot of uh, team players on your side. Tell us about the Christmas. Um, I had noticed there was a carving in the middle of the hallway. And it was like, I didn't know what it was, but I know we had a variety of uh, religions in our group. We had Christian, uh, Christians, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindus in there but every once in a while i'd see these guys go by and they'd have to swipe this wood carving when they went by i didn't even know what it was so i asked somebody and they said oh yeah they believe that every time they go by there and they touch it they're going to be blessed 
So they keep doing that. And right away, it really disturbed me because I thought, here, I'm working for the Lord. And I got idols in this building. I didn't even know it. And so I was started praying and asking the Lord, how do I get rid of this thing? And a lady came into my office and she said, who do I talk to about this Christmas music that's playing? Who chooses this music? And I said, well, that would be me. <laughs> well, where do you get this stuff? I said, well, we have people donating and loaning us music and we do it for all the different holidays because this is what people are wanting. And she's, she was started talking about the Christmas tree and why do we have that? And we need to get, we shouldn't be up there. And I said, okay, uh, well, we'll talk about it later. And I'm the one that chose to do all these things. Anyway, she disappeared. I Meanwhile, I had people in my office. I heard people passing by when she's talking about this. I had people approach me later. Who was this lady? They're all talking about it. But meanwhile, I had went, you know, I was trying to resolve this in my own mind that if, if I need to get rid of that Christmas tree to get rid of all the idols in the building, I'm happy to do so. Yeah. And when it was, uh, I didn't realize how many people would step up for Christianity not that the Christmas tree is Christianity, but they all stood up and said, hey, who is this lady? We're going to fight this. You can't tell the ambassador you can't have a Christmas tree lighting ceremony with all these Americans here mm -hmm. that are Christian. And so they fought that battle that I didn't know needed to be there. But it was a test, I think, from the Lord that he was testing me, like, how far would you go to do the right thing? And I was making a choice. Like, if I could get rid of all these idols... I'm happy to get rid of this Christmas tree, which some consider an idol as well. May so, or may not be. <laughs> right. We, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We won't tackle that. Yeah, we won't tackle that. So in my, in my movie, in my movie notes here, I have this, this uh, struggle that you've gone through. And now after you've taken on all this corruption and tried to, tried to point it out and, and bring it to light, you've actually won over much of your, uh, team, you know, you've gone and, and there was a story. I don't know that we hit this, but you were actually doing the laundry because there weren't enough people like, uh, oh, I was doing on, dishes. Right? I came in and there was a oh, whole bunch dishes. of, That's there was so much stress going on. And I thought, what's going on here in the kitchen? And they said, we don't have enough staff to do the dishes. And we make Indian food for the Indian staff working in the embassy. And we have cooks and they have no staff to help them wash the dishes and wash the pots and pans in between. And we don't know what to do. And I said, I'll do it. And they said, no, ma'am, you can't do that. You know, there's a caste system in India. They did, They thought, no, you cannot do that. And I said, yes, I can. And I'm thinking, it's a couple hours out of my time. I could do a company picnic for morale, or I can do two hours out of my time helping them do their job. Mm -hmm. And so there's a little hole by the sink where people put their little trays in because it's a cafeteria. And so I would... Somebody put their tray in and I'd poke my head through the hole and say, hi. <laughs> <laughs> and and I didn't know that would create a talk over the whole embassy. All the local hire was all talking about me. Like yeah, the, she the crazy was American there, woman's crazy doing American. dishes. She's doing dishes that's beneath her cast. And I'm like, no, <laughs> just mm -hmm. get the job done. And all these things were building up trust with with my staff. And I was just just doing what I thought was the right thing to do. So that now you've got, you've you've tried to shed light on this. You you've you've won over your own uh, employees, and and now, 
what, what, where you're at. You haven't had any resolution yet at this point. You've tried to take them on it and nothing has changed. And so I, I think the next uh, part of this movie is you've done all you could do. The people on your, of, of your staff, they love you. And yet the corruption is still there and they're still intimidated by it. And I felt a lot of stress myself. They were expressing stress. I had stress. I didn't know what to do. I felt like I could probably have a heart attack. The stress is so great. And I thought, I'm just going to go on a power walk. I'm going to grab a sermon and put it in my Walkman and just go. And before I did that, I said a prayer. I said, Lord, could you just pick something that I need to hear right now? And I pulled a sermon out, plugged it in, never looked at it. And on my walk, it was Frank Fan talking to me, talking about the armor of God, talking about the fight, the good fight, that we're fighting against principalities. <laughs> and and he said, um, just, you know, keep working, fight the good fight. This is This is what you should be doing. And I stopped and I cried because I thought I needed to hear that, that I was doing the right thing and to, to stick with it for that. But But over time, as days went by and there were still so many darts coming at me, you could feel the evil in the air. It just was hanging very heavy. And I went to the Lord and just said, um, I need, I, Lord, I will never quit on you. And, but if my job is done, uh, take me out. And um, the next day they asked me for a, you know, a meeting. And then, then so I went the very next day for the meeting. I said, I want to bring Dennis too. So he came and they wanted to change my contract to answer to the, to the CEO. And I didn't believe that he was a good person. I thought there's something not right. I'm not going to answer for him. So they cut my contract, which is fine. But when I came home, Dennis said, you did nothing wrong. And one of the interesting points was one of the persons they said, you need some supervision. And that's why they wanted to switch me. And I said, I have 60 staff. I have 946 customers. I have over a 1000 people watching me every day. I think that if I did anything wrong, you'd know about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they'd all be watching me. Mm-hmm. And they'd be reporting. And then one of the guys said, that's true. But um, anyway, I was done. But so so you were you were i'm going to say fired but yeah. your contract was renegotiated and found <laughs> found that you were didn't fit it but the one who renegotiated your contract trying to get you in in sub uh, a, a subordinate position to one of the evils that were yeah. in high places right and that's when you said that's i'm i'm not do- it. i'm not doing serve. it right so not going to serve so him. here it is <laughs> this is such a great plot point in our, in my movie and and so here you are saying i won't do it and you you left the job and where did you ended up going uh, out of the country you moved to a different oh take us well, through that well eventually i went to um another country with dennis for a while and that's when i asked the lord about the dream explaining the dreams so that's where he showed me that stuff but um trying like to think. what did you want to learn well, it? oh, I was getting to the end of India. We were getting ready to leave. And the my staff, they wanted me to come over because they made a cake for me and they wanted to say their goodbyes to me. So I went over and they went around the room. And here you got all these men in there that are Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus. And they're all saying nice things to me. And there's an old guy in the corner and he's talking in Hindi and he's got a tear in his eye 
And he's saying stuff, but I don't understand him. And so the chef said, did you understand him? And I said, no. And he goes, I will translate. He said, we're going to miss you, ma'am, because you loved us. And at that time, I realized what the job was. Mm -hmm. It was to just love them as myself, love my neighbor as myself. And I already been doing my job loving God with all my heart, mind and soul and doing whatever he asked me to do. And here, here they're telling me this. But yet, when I was done there, I went home and I, you know, cried out to the Lord because I thought I have worked so hard at this job. I really wanted to see things come to fruition here. And, and I was saddened by this. You know, I didn't want, I wasn't ready to leave. And so I asked the Lord, can you just show me something in the scriptures? And so when I opened up my scriptures, I looked down and it said, talking about planting the seeds. First right. Corinthians 3, 6. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Yeah. So so here's your, in, in, in my terms, here's your Schindler's List moment. You are leaving as a failure. Yeah. Nothing changed. <laughs> yes. You spent all your time there. All this trying to be a light, trying to be Christian in an unchristian environment. And you're looking at, at it like I've lost I've lost this battle. God sent me here to do this thing, and I've let him down. Is this how I'm making yeah. this more oh, dramatic, yeah. right? So, yeah. So, and here you are leaving thinking, what if I could have done more? What if I could have, have done more? What if I yeah. could have, how many more lives could I save? I'm thinking Schindler's List, right? Yeah. And so you, you ended up having this last goodbye when they said, you loved us. And I'm saying, I'm saying, you represented Christianity in a place where it was not uh, uh, a Christian atmosphere. You right. represented being good and being righteous in an atmosphere where people were punished for it. You represented Jesus Christ in the most most awful circumstances where you are literally under the nose and in the, the crosshairs of a, a mafia, a, a mini mafia that is running a black market out of your kitchen. And you're trying to put an end to it. You're trying to bring awareness. And the people in charge are the ones you're reporting to are the ones in this mafia, right? And so now you're taken out and you didn't make any headway. You didn't make any change. What did what did God bring me here for? And then you get this scripture. And then tell us what happened <laughs> that you found out later the day you left. Well, it wasn't the day I left. It okay. was well, it's more I, dramatic in the movie was, if you're sorry, the day sorry. You left. Okay. <laughs> I laughed and I'm still stressed about all this. And I go asking the Lord for for relief on this. Did I do a good job? Did I do my job? He sent me he sent me another dream. I didn't tell you about this earlier, but he sent me another dream. Oh, okay. And in this dream, I was in the conference room where we normally had a lot of biz- business luncheons and stuff. And there were boxes and boxes of files. And there was a desk. And there were all these government workers in and out, taking these boxes and carrying them out. And I was standing there and the chef was there. And I... I saw a file on the desk. I had my name on it and I wanted to look, but I thought I'm not going to do that. That's not right. And the chef said, go ahead and look at it. And I opened it up and had a grade on there. God showed me my grade on my file. And that was the end of my dream. C plus. (laughs) He gave me an A. Was it passing? Okay. So I I felt some relief. Like, okay, I did my job. Mm Mm-hmm. I did what I was supposed to do and I should let it go. But I still pondered all these things in my heart and I still was torn 
by everything that had happened because I thought, how could you be a good person and do all the right things and the evil people win? How can that happen? And then a friend came into Michigan and she said, hey, come and visit me. And I thought, wow, you're two hours away. Dennis is out of town. Yes, I'm going to drive over and visit you. But all the time I'm stressed thinking about all the things that happened to me and my men and, you know, the job and everything and thinking these evil people have won. And she talks to me and she said, you know, after you left, they walked 22 people off the compound. They just came, took their badge and walked them off. And they all want to know, how did Betsy know? How did she do it? (laughs) And I said, because God sent me dreams and he helped me. And I got an email from the regional security officer. Mm -hmm. He sent it to me and he said, that file you gave us, it helped us immensely. See, this is this is Esther meets Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and, and and throw him in the fire. This is just this is a great Hollywood ending. This is great. And and I'm so I've got this I want to run this by you. This is this is how I would cast it, okay? Playing your role, I've got Rachel McAdams. I think I think this works great with Rachel McAdams going through all that you've done. She's the the notebook girl. And then you know, for Dennis, I figured Oscar Isaac would, would slot in there. I like him there. And then for for the evil kind of snarky one that you have to deal with, I, I was thinking Meryl Streep. She's a good villainous <laughs> woman who wants you to get Christmas out of here. But maybe because of this movie, Julie and Julia, where I'm thinking maybe Amy Adams, because she would go. she could flip and now be the, the bad guy. But I, I just I think this would be great. And, and for the bad guy, I've got I want Colin Farrell as a bad guy. He is just he can be slimy. <laughs> And so he could run that black market. And I think this was this movie, your life story, this this testimony is just epic proportions. This is this is a, a Hollywood movie, a great note, uh, a, no, a novel. I would and I love the entertainment value of it. I love the inspiration of it. I thank you so much for sharing this with me because I think it's it's just uplifting and, and it makes a great a great. It's got everything. It's got everything in it. So. Well, thank you for interviewing and getting this down. I I want people to know that there's something there for you, for God. If you want to give God something back, uh, ask him. Ask him for a job to do. There's something for everybody, I think. What do you do? That's, you, that's a dangerous question now. What am I going to do? And, and here he is. He sent you out here to take on a... A black market in India. I just—it's crazy. It's crazy what God, who's gonna, God's gonna use to do these things. And the, you know, I just a little girl from a small town with no education in, in the restaurant business. If if he could do that with me, he could do that with anybody. There you go. That's right? the that's the Hollywood that's the Hollywood voice. A little girl <laughs> in a small town. See Rachel McAdams take on. You know, it'd be great. And, and I'm just inspired. Uh, thank you for sharing your testimony with us. I'm, I don't mean to be uh, so, so, you know, silly about it, but I, it really is uplifting. So for what it's worth, thank you for your time. Thank you.